there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. So I started off calling this 155 imposter. But the problem is, is that when you start off, then you may have an idea, but then the work takes over and it takes you where you don't want to go, where you didn't know you were going to go. These ideas, they have a mind of their own. And so I may start off even now saying, well, we're going to talk about this and end up talking about something entirely different. And it's not that I'm weak-minded, it's that I realized that the power of light behind the work is what must be given a voice. We talked about it Wednesday night in our study of the Tao Te Ching, the embodiment of light, to embody light. And in a sense, I see my job as to embody the work. It is my job to let the work ideas do what they want, speak what they want to be spoken, address us, you and I, and whoever else. I don't know what the work knows. I don't know what the conscious circle of humanity means. I don't know what this comes from. I don't know what this is. And someone once asked me, are you saying you're channeling blah, 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 blah? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that this work, it's alive. It's real. There's something intelligent, alive, and real about it. What is behind it is greater mind. So am I channeling greater mind? You know, I don't know. Why do I have to answer that? Can't we just take this for what it's worth? Can't we just say that the source of wisdom, the source of knowledge, the source of goodness is all the same and that it's our job to get in touch with that source? So I started off with calling this the imposter and then changed it to dream power. So I looked down here and I see dream power and I said, the word comes from Latin imponere, to put upon, impose, to force something unwelcome or unfamiliar to be accepted or put in place. So I thought, oh yeah, that's right. I had named this imposter when I started, but I never went back and changed it after I changed the title to dream power. Reese Nicole said, the work teaches us that real I exists, but cannot be approached as long as imaginary I dominates us. This puts us in a very peculiar position. It puts us in a position of belief. If real I exist, but I can't approach it as long as imaginary I dominates me, and imaginary I is dominating me, the only thing we can do, I can imagine that imaginary I is not dominating me, or I can imagine what real I is. Both of those are unacceptable. So now we have this third choice. Well, we can believe that real I exists. And it's not just a matter of belief. But it can be. It can be just a matter of belief. It can just be, I believe that real I exist. I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You know, I believe that this. I believe that that. And that's all wonderful, but it's all rhetoric. And what good does it do? Unless you have some reason to believe. Do you have reason to believe that real I exist? And if that reason is that someone else said so, is that a good enough reason? If that reason is something that you've been able to verify, then I think you're in line with the work. So I think that if you believe based on something in scale that you've been able to verify inside of yourself and that other people have been able to verify so that you're not just out there in Looneyville all by yourself, 
You know, there are a lot of people who can verify that they were Joan of Arc or Napoleon in their past life or Josephine. So there are a lot of people who can verify that inside themselves. But I'm not talking about that kind of verification. I'm talking about real verification where it can be verified not just inside of yourself in this cloud of imaginary insanity, but where it can also be verified that other people have had similar experiences. That though you cannot share the experience, the exact experience, you can touch another person's experience with your experience somehow. And I don't know how that works, and so don't ask me to explain it. This is where words fail. When you get into this realm where words are not meant, where words are meant to convey something here, the physical realm, the mental realm, the emotional realm. But in this mystical realm, in the spiritual realm, in the psychological realm, words change. They become different, and you have to have specific meanings for them, or else you can get lost fast. But the meanings that you have for those words here are different than the meanings they have there. And so that's what this study is about, mostly. Esoteric ideas are about trying to relate the truth of real I, the truth of higher emotional and higher intellectual centers, the truth of the psychological internal world, the spiritual world, to people who are standing and living and thinking that they are existing in a physical world. Have you begun to observe that you are dominated by imaginary I? Have you? Yes. Can you tell me in what ways? In what way are you dominated by imaginary I? I imagine that what I think and what I see is the right thing. It's the way it ought to be. And everybody ought to see that I am right. So you imagine that you are the truth? Yes. Okay. And that everything you think and everything you do and everything you feel is the truth? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. That's a good observation. Yes, Jess? That if I can fix it, it will be better. That if I can fix it, it will be better. Okay, so there's two imagine, imaginations there. The first one is that something can be fixed. That's the first thing you're imagining that something can be fixed. And then secondly, that if it actually could be fixed, then it would actually be better. Well, of course, then that's the same thing as what Steve was saying. What you think and what you feel is the truth, and all the universe should what, conform to it. And that would fix the universe. In a broad sense, that's imaginary I. And we imagine that we are something that we are not. And of course, then there are millions of little supports. How many nails go into making a house? How many boards go into making a house? How many sticks go into making a house? You know, how many trees go into making a house? What goes into making a house? So we see the house, it's imaginary eye, and we see it in this big way, and it says, yes, that's it. But then it's all of these little things that hold it together, all these little fasteners, all the glue, all the stuff that holds it together. And these also are the things that we need to see. We need to see how it operates that way. And of course, at first, from far off, we see the house. And the closer you get, And the more detail you use to inspect the house, the more you find. And the more you find, the better you know it. And the better you know it, hopefully, the easier it is for you to not be it. That's the theory. We shall see in some lifetime. (laughs) We have mistaken the real meaning of our existence. And we don't want anyone trying to slap us out of our fantasies. See, we think that the real meaning of our existence is basically to support imaginary eye. We think that it is the real meaning of our existence is to have what we think we should have, what we deserve, what we want. In other words, our fantasies. I can testify to how grumpy we get when someone tries to slap us out of our fantasies. Imaginary I is composed of imagination, and it is an imposter. It is not real I. It is something that pretends to be real I, but it is not real I. 
It is something that says that it's you, but it is not really you. But you have believed it. And once you believe it and identify with it, you are it. The catch is we don't see imagination as it is. It's like going to the movie theater and looking at the image on the screen. When we're looking at it, it doesn't take us long and we don't see what we're looking at. We get into the film and we don't remember that back there somewhere is a projection booth and there's a reel of celluloid being passed at a certain speed in front of a light and a lens. And it's simply a projection of light on a screen with some sound added to it. And when that happens, once we become identified, we're enjoying ourselves. We're gone. And that's why we go there. We go there to enjoy ourselves, to be entertained, to forget who we are, to forget what our life is, and to get into something else. We cling to our dreams unaware. They are our forms of imagination. Your dreams are simply forms of imagination, and this world supports your dreams. You've got to have a dream. You've got to dream the impossible dream. If you don't have a dream, you'll never go anywhere. What's your dream? And the world supports us. You go to school, and they try and teach you how to have dreams, as if you needed to be taught. And you do need to be taught to conform to this huge machine that we call life. This organic film on this planet is a part of that life. And you are a part of the organic film on this planet. And to keep you a part of the organic film on this planet, all of life conspires to keep you asleep so that you don't wake up to the fact that you are on a conveyor belt that's going over the edge, that you're tied to the log that's on the saw, in the sawmill, you know, like the old cartoons, or that you're tied to the railroad tracks and a train is coming. That's your condition. But if you take me literally, you think I'm insane. But that's literally your condition. You are literally tied to the log, and there's a, saw, there's a saw that's buzzing, and you're being drawn head first toward that saw. And when you get there, it'll kill you. And everything that's inside will then be outside. And you're on the railroad tracks, and you're tied to the railroad tracks, and your head is here, and your feet are there, and the train is going to come across, and it's going to cut your head and feet off, and you're going to die. But I'm crazy to tell you that, because that's clearly not where you are. Yeah, we cling to our dreams, not knowing that they are simply forms of imagination. What they amount to is daydreams and fantasies about ourselves. How we'd like other people to see us. That's what our daydreams or fantasies are about. How we would like other people to see us. How they should see us. How we demand that they see us. How if they don't see us, they're not our friends. If they do see us the way we see ourselves, they're our friends. If they don't see us the way we see ourselves, we would like them to see us. Then they're our enemies. Our daydreams, our fantasies are what we feel we really are. But people stubbornly take no notice of our secret ideas of our own value. How could they? How could they be that, how could they be that coarse? How could they be that cruel? How could they be that wanton? Well, it's easy. They're just like us. They're busy dreaming their own day daydreams and fantasies about themselves and trying to get us to agree with theirs. They're not the least bit interested in agreeing with yours. Unless two people get together and they say, I'll tell you what, I'll agree with yours if you'll agree with mine. We call that marriage or a relationship or business partnership. I'll agree with your dreams and you'll agree with my dreams. We'll have these dreams together. Great. And that always works out well. Ospensky said, we have only a few typical forms of mechanical self-active imagination about ourselves. Self-imagination. Say four or five. It's important to make these unconscious forms of imagination conscious and realize that they act on us at all moments. See, we don't realize that our daydreams and our fantasies are acting on us every minute of every day. In your sleep. Well, even in my sleep? 
Yes, I just said every minute of every day. That means in your sleep. That means in your sleep on the bed and in your waking sleep when you're walking around doing what you do in life. Those daydreams and fantasies are acting on you. And if we don't become aware of them, they will continue to act on us. And they will continue to take us places where we don't want to go. Well, where are all those places? Well, the places are on the railroad tracks, tied to the railroad tracks, tied to the, to the log that's going through the sawmill or on the conveyor belt that's taking the coal to the furnace and dumping it in there, wherever, whatever, whichever image works for you, whichever one you like or don't like. There are three forms of imagination. Some people dream their dreams passively. Some people talk their dreams. And the third form is some people act their dreams. In our world, the people who act their dreams are the heroes. The people who act their dreams are the leaders. The people who act their dreams are the doers in life. Those are the people we look up to. Those are the people we admire. Those are the people we hate. Because we love to hate the people that we admire. We love to criticize the people that we admire. Because we admire them, but we can't reach them, we need to pull them down. It's just our nature. Or the nature of this imaginary eye, this imposter, this thing that dreams these dreams, that has these fantasies, and then that tries to make the world comply with them. Just one form of imagination can spoil your life. It doesn't matter which of the three forms of imagination you partake of. Just one form can destroy your life. Relationships are a good example. Two people want to hook up. They find, after they hook up, their forms of mechanical imagination, their dreams, are incompatible. What happens then is they become mutually destructive. One tears the other down, the other tears the other down, and they continue to do that until one is destroyed or they both go away to find someone else to destroy and someone else to destroy them. What we fail to understand is that one psychology relates to another psychology. It's not really physical bodies hooking up, but it's the invisible psychological bodies that are hooking up. You'll see people who say, wow, she's really pretty, or wow, he's really handsome. I'd really like to, you know, get it on with that guy or get it on with her. But that's all. You know, I just, it's just a one-night stand. I don't want anything else. It's never true because what made you think that that body was attractive was psychological. It had nothing to do with the physical or very little to do with the physical. It was something psychological in you that was seeking something. But we don't know that. Superficial, tiresome relationships come from bodies trying to unite without any idea of the psychologies. Where, where does this end? Divorce court. It ends where they all end. You try to make bodies come together without the psychologies uniting, and something has to happen. Either the psychologies have to unite, or the bodies are going to have to separate. And that's the way it goes. And since we don't really know how to unite our psychologies as a rule, we end up having the bodies separate, and then we go careening through life until we crash into another body and something sticks. And we call that relationships. Love is psychological. Now, if love is psychological, then why doesn't eHarmony.com work? And the reason is because the psychology is almost always some form of imagination. You answer these questions, 28 different aspects of your personality. So eHarmony.com is not going to match your body to another body. It's going to match your personality to another personality. When 28 different personality points, you're going to be matched up. And then you're going, you're going to select. It's not going to select. The computer's not going to say, okay, you and you, you two get together, go over there. You and you, you two get together, okay, you two get married now, you two. See, it's not going to be that way. You're going to get all your matches, and then you're going to choose. The problem is your choice. If you have a choice between something good and something bad, you pick something good. If you can see the clear difference. If you have a choice between something good and something good and something good and something good and something good, what are you going to pick? Well, I'm going to pick the best, but how will you know what that is? 
We don't. We don't know what that is because we don't know ourselves. And because we don't know ourselves, we don't know them. Who answers the questions? Imaginary I. <laughs> That's who answers the questions. When you, you go to one of these things and you start answering these questions, who is answering the questions? Nothing real in you answering the questions. There's so little honesty and genuineness and sincerity answering the questions. You're only considering one thing. You're trying to hook up. And you want to hook up with somebody good. So you're good enough to hook up with somebody good, right? And that's all imagination. Because there isn't anybody good. And you're not good. So that's imagination. And there's no such thing as a good hookup. That's imagination too. So as you can see, we are lost. We are afloat. We are adrift in the sea of imagination. And there's a storm. It's not just this tranquil, quiet sea. Just la, 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 la. No, there's a storm going on. It's a typhoon going on. And we're in the middle of this, being buffeted and blown here and there. But unfortunately, we don't know it. That's why people in love behave in extraordinary ways. <laughs> I remember Connie telling me Tom Cruise was on some show after he'd just fallen in love with whoever the latest one was. And, and you know, he's acting like a real idiot, bouncing on the sofa and <laughs> acting like a goof. And people kind of were like, oh, please, you know. And his whole thing was, well, I'm in love. And, you know, in love, insane, pretty much the same thing. In imagination is what it really is. I'm in imagination. Why are you so happy? I'm in imagination. Well, why are you two getting married? We're in imagination. Wouldn't it be better if people said we're in imagination rather than we're in love? They can't say that because they don't know that. And who are those people? Well, we are. <laughs> we are those people. Here's the thing. Since imagination is dominating them at the time that they're in love, it's not going to last. How do we know that? Well, because imagination changes just like the face of the sea in a typhoon. All the time. It's changing constantly. The water is churning. What's on top now is on the bottom later. And what's on the bottom later is in the middle later. And it's all changing constantly. So it's going to change. It won't last. Most of our memory of the past are ideas of other people. And all of our ideas about ourselves are imagination. How can you say that? How can you say that all of my ideas of myself are imagination? Well, it's easy. You could say it too. If you just look. If you would just look at it for what it is, you would see that all of your ideas of yourself are imagination. Well, what about the times I've observed myself? What about them? Those are not your ideas of yourself, or you wouldn't have to observe them. What can master imagination? Work memory, which really means conscious memory, which begins with the conscious intake of impressions through self-observation. So your memory that is the conscious intake of impressions through self-observation is real. And your memory that was not the conscious intake of impressions is not real. Do you have any real memory? How much in comparison to your unreal memory? It's a fraction of a percent. We have so little real memory. And it's something that's just happened recently, just recently in life. The whole thrust of our life, the whole inertia of our life is imagination and imagined memory. It's why it's so faulty. But lately, we've observed some things and we've remembered them from time to time. And when we remember them, it sobers us. And then we're tired of being sober, so we go back to the bar. Because this sober life is just too much. So we go back to the bar, and we drink some more imagination, and we get drunk on imagination again, and we go to sleep. Some dream their dreams passively, but it's just as noxious. Some get to, if only, which are those who talk their dreams. Well, if only I could meet so-and-so, he'd really understand me. If only I could be with a woman like that, she would really give me what I want. These are the people who talk their dreams. 
The people who passively just read romance novels and passively dream their dreams, they just sit there and spoil their life that way. So they have a perfectly wonderful husband or wife who does whatever they do, and they come home, and perfectly wonderful means just like everybody else. That's what perfectly wonderful means. It's, it's all there is. But just like everybody else. And they come home, but they're not like this guy in the romance novel. <laughs> Not like this woman in the magazine, this pinup in the magazine, you know, the centerfold in the magazine. She's not like that. So therefore, I have this dream. Listen, I've earned all this money. Why don't you go get some surgery so you can look more like this girl in the... You see? Or, here, well, why don't you get this job? I think you should go to school to get this job, and then you'd be more like this guy in this romance novel. And you spoil your life that way. Or you spoil your life talking about it. The problem is, a conscious man wouldn't be much fun. Think about it. But one of the things that people think about in these groups, oh, if I could be with a more conscious man, oh, if only I could be with a more conscious woman. It's the same thing as a romance novel. It's a work romance novel. It's just as crazy. The problem with a conscious man is you see through your imagination that you take as yourself, and what you imagine you are isn't the case. And somebody who's conscious knows that. So I promise you that someone who's conscious is not going to be much fun. In fact, the more conscious they are, the less fun they're going to be for you. Because the more they're going to see through your imagination of yourself, and that's just never fun. You insist this, but they insist that. That does not make for a wonderful relationship. You are not what you imagine you are. The work can help you to realize this. As a matter of fact, it's the only real reason for working on yourself. Seeing you are not what you imagine. Ow. This work is about just seeing that I'm not what I imagine? Yes, that's it. That's what this work is about. Well, that doesn't sound like much fun. Whereas somebody wrote to me back in March, it doesn't seem like this line of work could be very popular. <laughs> <laughs> no? Not if you really start to understand what it really is. Then you begin to understand. If it's popular, you're selling something other than this work. People are not getting this work. They're not getting what this work is about. If it's popular, they're not getting what this work is about. I mean, this work is not popular to me. I can tell you about it, but it's not a popular pastime for me to look at myself and to see all of the things that I have to see. It's just not that pleasant. It's not popular for me. I'll do it because it's my duty. I'll do it because it's the only way out of this prison. But I don't like it. I don't like what I see. It offends my imagination of myself. My imagination is constantly offended by this work. Well, give up your imagination. Great. Good idea. You give up yours first and tell me how it went. Yeah. You give up yours first, tell me how it went, and then show me how. I'll be happy to. The more the mists of imagination clear away, the more you can feel real eye. You're here now because you've gotten a whiff of real eyes aftershave, and you like it. And it's worth putting up with some trials and tribulations to get some more. That's why you're here. In the beginning, you were here because you had no idea what real eye was. You imagined you knew, and you imagined you were real life. And then slowly, that began to change. And then, fortunately, just at the right time, for you, you got a whiff of real eye, just a glimpse, and that was enough. The other people who didn't, they couldn't hang on long enough to get a glimpse of real eye, and they fell away and went someplace where imaginary eye could be left in peace. The work will lead you to a gradual loss of imagination, into rich fields of new understanding where the plague of yourself no longer exists. That's a direct quote from Maurice Nicole, and I loved it so much I wrote it in there. The plague of yourself no longer exists. Do you know the plague of yourself? It's just grim. And do you begin to long for a place where the plague of yourself no longer exists? 
It's the Christian heaven. It's the Buddhist nirvana. This is the Muslim paradise. This is the thing. This is it. It's where the plague of yourself no longer exists. It's really not the plague of other people. It's really not the plague of sin. It's really not the plague of death. It's really not the plague of pain and suffering. It's the plague of yourself, which is the root of all of that. Sin, suffering, death, all that. You are the root of that. Your imagination, your fantasies are the root of that. And only in this place where they cease to exist, where you become separated from them, does the plague of yourself begin to fade, where it cannot enter these fields of understanding. Imagination and understanding don't go together well. Nicole said, A self-complacent person must be stung into awakening from spiritual death. The reason I have that in there is because I like to hear somebody else say it besides me. I like to hear somebody else say, you know, you need to be stung into awakening from spiritual death, or you need to be slapped awake. People hear that from me over and over again, and it's like, yeah, you just like to slap people. You just like to sting people. No, I don't. Any more than you like to be stung or slapped. Okay, so you like it a little. I tell <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face. All right, so you like it a little. Yes, yeah, some, some of us, we do still see the cross hanging up there, the crucifix hanging up there, and we say there's some virtue in being stung and slapped. So we will step up to the plate and get a good slap. Okay, uh, I'm a good person now. I, I'm better. And nothing like a good spanky to make us feel good. You know, I, I have my spanking, you know, so now I can go do what I want to do because I paid. And that's all it is, payment. We see imagination keeping people asleep in all kinds of conceits and vanities so that even the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune will not awaken them. And you look at life, you can see people going through hell, but it doesn't wake them up. They just redouble their attack on the world. They redouble their attack on the other person, thinking that the other person is doing it to them. All it does actually is just increase their hatred and their negativity. What we do not see is what form of imagination is keeping us asleep. What form of imagination is keeping you asleep? Which is it? One, two, or three? Is it passive? Is it talking? Or is it acting? Which form of imagination is keeping you asleep? Seeing that we're not what we imagine is a very strong medicine that very few people can take. We can take it in very small doses if the doses are spread out over long periods of time. But a constant diet of this is not something that many people can take. So they find that they have to pull away. They have to back away. They have to have other interests. They have to have other things to do. The closer you get, the more the gag reflex kicks in. You know, here's your little bite for the day. I don't think, a, you know, it's like wheatgrass. You ever drink wheatgrass? Drink a wheatgrass or two and they, they could be okay. After about two weeks of drinking wheatgrass every day, an ounce of wheatgrass every day, just the word wheatgrass can have this really awful effect on you. As imaginary eye is gradually rendered passive, we could get to what is real in us. Imagine that. That would be directed imagination. Imagine that. That would be directed imagination, which is the only real use of imagination. Directed imagination. What we have is undirected imagination. The only proper use of imagination is directed imagination. What is real in you is unique in you. There's no standard by which we may measure a man. I know this comes as a terrible disappointment because you have standards by which you measure men. You have a standard by which you measure me. That's why I don't measure up. You have a standard by which you measure everyone else. That's why they don't measure up. We're born unique. We are born to awaken. We are born to reach real I in ourselves, which is unique in every case. His real I is not like his real I. Her real I is not like her real I. Real I is unique in each individual. We must eventually follow our individual path to real I. Now, most people start that path way too soon. 
they start their path to real eye long before they actually can. In other words, people imagine that they're on the path to real eye, and what they're really doing is rebelling against the path to real eye. Because there are general truths about how to reach real eye. There are steps that need to be taken by everyone, even though the path to real eye is unique. The beginning of the journey has a lot of similarities for everyone. Everyone can follow that path to a certain point together. Maybe not in sync, but together. That's why groups can work. If each path was individual and there was nothing like it, if it was unique and there was nothing like it for anyone else, then two people couldn't even talk about it. But because the beginning has similarities, we can share it. Here's where we stumble. The work must be obeyed. This is what bothers us in America. I don't know about other places. This is what bothers people in America every time. The work must be obeyed. Even saying that, I'm taking a risk. The work must be obeyed. It makes people go formatory crazy. You know what formatory crazy is? It's when you have no, you have no control over yourself. You just instantly, the only thing you can think of is the exact opposite of whatever I say. All you can do is object. That's formatory insanity, where you go into the formatory center and you just slap back and forth on the pendulum. Imaginary eye hates that thought that the work must be obeyed, and it will fight it tooth and nail. No one can reach real eye as long as the love of being negative is stronger than the desire to separate from negative emotions. I remember in the beginning when we were trying to observe negative emotions that people had a lot of problems. They would observe the negative emotion, then they would just enjoy it. They would observe the negative emotion, that was enough. Well, I'm observing it. What they were doing, actually, the truth was what they were doing was enjoying it. They weren't observing it properly because observing it properly was separating from it. But they couldn't separate from it because they enjoyed the negative emotion too much. And it was only later that they started to see the effect of the negative emotion that they started thinking, okay, maybe this is not such a good idea, and they would start to try and pull away. That's how it goes. For a long time, only one emotion can overcome another emotion. A man is his chief love. Where your treasure is is where your heart is. That's your, your chief love, and you are your chief love, whatever your chief love is. If valuation for the work becomes stronger, which means if the love for the work becomes stronger, then it will contend with the love of being negative. And what I'm saying is that the work will fight for you. This is the only way real eye can be approached. You cannot approach real eye, but the work can cut a path to real eye for you. You cannot do, but the work can blaze the trail for you so that you can travel it. Most take imaginary eye for real eye. The stronger the personality, the stronger they cling. Imaginary eye must gradually be drained of its force. Those who seek to act their dreams seek to make external reality correspond with internal fantasy. Unfortunately, this is probably one of the most difficult things to fix, one of the most difficult things to undo. Once you start to make the outer world submit to your fantasies, to your dreams, it becomes very difficult to give that up. It's why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom. The richer you are, the harder it is. And I don't mean monetarily, but I don't exclude that. But the richer you are, the more difficult it is. In other words, the more you get your way, the more difficult it is. And let's face it, we've all figured out ways to get our way in the one thing that is our chief feature. You have found a way to get your way, no matter what. Well, I'm not really getting my way. No, you may not be getting everything you want, but you're getting enough to keep doing it. And that makes it tough. They can never be satisfied because imagination is insatiable and it won't be corrected by experience. Imagination is never corrected by experience. I don't care how many relationships you've been in and how many of them have failed. You think that the next one is going to be better. 
because imagination will not be corrected by your experience. You will not learn. Imagination does not learn from history. It is doomed to repeat itself because it refuses to learn from experience. Such a person is following an imagination of himself. Say, let's say, being the smartest person or being the richest person or being the most together person or being the toughest person. The tragedy is that what's real in him doesn't want to do what imaginary I makes him do. This is always the tragedy. You look at people who are going for it, sound asleep, going for it, 100%, running the race, 100%, sound asleep. And the tragedy is that what's real in them doesn't want to be doing that. It's being dragged along. It's in the trunk, being dragged along. It's in the backpack, being dragged along. He's acting his imagination to his own torment. Find yourself in that. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.